Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. If you're looking for striking, custom, single-piece stone and large-format porcelain surfaces to take your design to the next level, visit vstone.com.au. They're Australia's leaders in personalised stone design with beautiful quartz, natural stone, granite and marble to create a superb timeless finish to any space. vstone.com.au so my guest on talk design today is hugh jefferson randolph now hugh is an architect from originally new orleans then he's traveled around he's been in dc and now is based in Austin, Texas. And one of the things that I love about what Hugh does is, and we're going to discuss this, is Hugh doesn't have a set signature. His, he, he, you don't look at a building and go, oh, Hugh did that. Um, what you do is, is you get intrigued by a building and then you go, Hugh did that. Because he, he plays in so many different genres and it, it's absolutely fascinating. He's an absolute like student and fountain of knowledge of architecture. Um, and what I'd like to do is, is say, Hugh, welcome to Talk Design. It's a pleasure to have you here. We've spoken many times before. Um, but here we go. I'm going to have some questions for you. But just first of all, a little intro about you and your firm and what you love about architecture. Well, um, I guess I love everything. Uh, but no, I think what I love about architecture is it is that blending it sounds so cliche honestly but is that you've got like i love nature i love going out hiking i love being outdoors and the environment and i like interacting with people there's some times that i kind of like just to sort of have my own space and not have to like interact like anybody but yeah. i like um in residential architecture you know some of the best uh, feelings are after you do something and people say wow this is i would never have expected this it's what I wanted, but I didn't even know I wanted it. So our job is to kind of take them beyond their preconceptions, you know, because it's what we do. We do this, you know, all day for years and years. And so at the same time, we have to listen, but we have to kind of, you know, open up their horizons and expand them. So having that interaction where, you know, we get to meet so many just fascinating people, you know, clients who are like, wow, you know, we work hard. But, you know, we're getting paid to do something that we love and it's making them happy. I mean, not always, but but it is. It's a very simplistic thing is like, you know, having someone just, you know, you, you show them a design and they're like big smiles. And it's really, you know, it, it brings some joy into their lives. And and again, there's a lot of stress. It's a, the fact that it matters to them a lot means there's a lot of emotion and it's a big investment, you know. Even everyone has a budget. You could be wealthy or not. And still there's a limit where you start to get stressed about the money. And that's part of it for sure. So we try to kind of help that. But also, but having said that, having that kind of interaction with people, you know, we, we love that. And so it's really the combination of nature, the site, the clients, the families, and then what we do. And so, um, you know, you mentioned I'm from New Orleans and I was just on this vacation where someone started telling stories and they said, Oh, I'm from the South. And so I tell stories 
takes me a long time to tell them. <laughs> but no, I, I think that, you know, we really love what we do. And um, our firm, it's not just myself, though, it's a team. And so there's some things that aren't quite as much what we love. I think that um, when it gets down to a lot of detail or paperwork, I start to get a little bit, you know, restless. And so, but there's other people in my office who they love, whether they love it or not, they're really good at it. You know, the meticulous, they're very focused on getting everything just right. Yep. And they had the patience for that. So that's very fortunate that we have a team. There's, there's seven of us in total. Wow. Yeah. And so everyone has their own kind of skill set. And I think for me, the passion is more about the design aspects. And then the execution is a team of people. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the I, thing. But I've, always, I've wanted to do this since I was like seven or eight years old. And so I feel very, very fortunate to be able to kind of, you know, be in a place where there's a really healthy market and yeah. some interesting creative people to work with. You say um, seven or eight years old. How do you know that? Like what, what was that little point? Um, you know, I don't have any one like that I can say with hundred percent accuracy, but I remember we lived next door. We lived, I was born in New Orleans, but then we lived in Houston in the suburbs actually. But the suburb we lived in was called Nassau Bay. It was kind of a play. There's a, a city in the Bahamas called Nassau. Yeah, sure. Nassau, the Bahamas. And then there's NASA, N-A-S-A, -A, you know, NASA like rocket ships and stuff, yeah. right? So we lived near NASA. And it's called Nassau Bay, but it's like NASA. And we lived next door to an astronaut who went to Apollo. We lived down the street from, you ever kind of follow like Apollo history? Sure. Um, two guys went to the moon, Neil Armstrong and another, they were the ones who walked on the moon. But yeah. then our neighbor was the guy that circled around and waited for them. Um, and Buzz Michael Collins was his name. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then uh, yes, Walt course. Cunningham lived next door and Dick Gordon was Apollo 12. And so we had Apollo 12, Apollo 7, Apollo 11. And so, but next door, um, Walt Cunningham was an Apollo 7. And they're the first ones to go around the earth in the Apollo rocket. And then Apollo 8 is a figure of like the eighth. It went around the earth and then the moon. So I remember the little patch was that, but Apollo seven was our next door neighbor. And they had two kids about the same age, Brian and Kimberly, you know, were their names, but they had a really cool house. It's kind of like the Brady Bunch house where the, you know, they must have the reruns of course in Australia, right? The Brady Bunch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, so that <laughs> we, was, um, I watched it as a kid. Yeah. And so this house had like the open tread staircase with little steel cables. And one time they actually filmed a TV commercial. Um, since he was an astronaut, he was a spokesperson for some breakfast drink. And so we were on the stairs, like looking down into the kitchen where they did take after take after take. The wife was like, you know, when my husband is in space, this is what we drink. And then later, even when I was like eight years old, I was saying like, he only went to space once. They don't drink this stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, they, um, but it's a cool house, you know, it had like big soaring vaulted ceilings and they had an Eames, not the uh, plywood one, but the Eames recliner with a little ottoman uh -huh. with a leather. And I remember we were, we'd spin around it and stuff. So it was, it was a very different house than I'd ever seen, you know, kind of this, you know, contemporary, you know, mid sixties. Um, yeah, like not quite mid-century modern, but kind of sort of, but, but, but they even had like tones of mid-century. Yeah. yeah, and even one of the roofs came out, this big plane came up, and they had a tree. It became like a garden, but the roof covered it, yeah. the courtyard, but then they had a tree going through the roof, 
Yeah, wow. It was outdoors. The tree wasn't inside, but like, wow, they even have a tree in their house, you know? So it was all very uh, interesting, but it, um, that's one thing. And then we moved back to New Orleans and they're building the Superdome. And I remember we, we would go to church down uh, right in the middle of the French Quarter is the Jackson Square and the St. Louis Cathedral. It's like one of the iconic buildings in New Orleans. And uh, we didn't live right near there, but my parents really wanted to go to church there rather than the one that was out in the suburbs near where we lived in New Orleans. So I remember, you know, seeing the Superdome being built. It's probably like in the mid seventies, I guess. Yeah. And so seeing it under construction, you know, before they put the white roof on it and stuff. And then, you know, it's a really big modern bridge it's right near the highway, you know, we would see it. And then going um, in the French quarter, you know, we would park wherever we'd park and we'd walk you know, to where the cathedral was and just go, Again, a whole nother, just like my next door neighbor's house in Houston was really different from ours. You had a nice house. Ours was kind of ordinary, but um, yeah, that was very different. And then also going into the French Quarter, you know, the buildings there were really different from like the very suburbs of New Orleans. And so like, this is kind of cool. And then I learned, like, I, I didn't know any architects. My dad is not, uh, no family, no friends. None of, my, none of my parents' friends were. So I didn't know, I had never met any architect. First you know, really generation. probably feel like partial high school kind of think of it. But once I learned that it was a profession, you know, and, and different TV, like actually in the Brady Bunch, the dad was an architect of that show. His character. Hey, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think part of it was um, just seeing these really cool different environments, you know, from the very traditional in New Orleans to kind of the modern in Houston where, you know, and who knows, I mean, maybe that's why I still have an appreciation for, you know, for both, um, you know, I don't look at that there's any one, I don't look at it in a dogmatic fashion where like, you know, we need to build something which is of this age, which means it has a flat roof and big windows. If we've got a site that has an amazing view, yeah, we're gonna wanna have like big windows and we're gonna wanna have it. And if a client likes to have that kind of uh, approach, but, but I do find that there's a lot of, um, that there's nothing anymore, there's no more honesty or of like, oh, this is our time to express, you know, this look. I, yeah. I don't kind of abide by that. I think that there's different solutions that are appropriate. Um, and, you know, and it's not just for the client. We actually like having the variety. I find that as anyone who's creating something, if you were, say, a chef, and mm -hmm. all you cook were the menu items that you have in any one mm -hmm. given day, but a lot of restaurants now, it's farm to table, it's seasonal. And mm -hmm. so you shift. Like mm -hmm. here is a situation, here's a gardener that's bringing these vegetables that are fresh. So I'm going to make something different. Yeah. You know, or there's some restaurants, there's some chefs that I know who, you know, they will, if they have like different restaurants, they get very established as like a very well-known chef. They might have their casual, you know, Vietnamese restaurant. The same chef might end up having a French restaurant, like it's very formal. Yeah. And what they, what I've read is that they say, you know, this really helps each of these restaurants helps me be a better chef at the other restaurant because I'm not getting into this formula. And, you know, for me, it would be, I think it's more appropriate to kind of be more eclectic personally. And Austin is a very eclectic city. There's such a variety of people, but just in regards to the creative process, I find that it keeps it fresh, you know, from just having a signature where if you yeah. have a signature, there's different people I know who do some beautiful work here in Austin. Oh, yeah. We can think of some. And they, the benefit is they get to fine tune something, you know, where it's little by little, like, 
you know, variations on a theme, or if you're a client and you really love their work, you have the confidence. Like, I love that. I love that. Well, I love all of these. And I want something kind of just like it. Yeah. So there's a kind of peace of mind that they have done it. Um, we're being considered for a project now where these folks showed us a picture of a restaurant in Mexico city and hope we get the project. I, I don't know. And they, they told me the two of the people and you've met both of them, I think, but the two of the people that they're talking to and one is more specializes in that kind of a look. And, but they like our, they like our variety. So again, I don't, I can't, you know, they'll pick whoever they I feel think they're comfortable with, but, but no, I think that when I saw that picture of that restaurant, I thought, oh, that reminds me of like, yeah. you know, Joe Smith architect. And then later I asked who they're talking to and they're talking to Joe Smith. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is a benefit, I guess, in terms of it, you know, some people um, years ago, I remember within a two month period, there's one potential client that said, oh, we really like you. We like your work, but we're going to go with someone a bit more modern because we really want some more modern. Sure. You know, and then I thought, well, maybe I should have only shown them the things that I didn't need to show them as many things. And then about two months later, there's someone said, you know, we really like your work, but it's a little too modern. We want someone who's more traditional because I only show them more modern stuff, you know? And so then I realized, whatever, just you do what you do. You follow what you think is best. And if people like it and relate to it, you know, I find that we we do have, there's different people in town that we get interviewed up against the most. And I find that those are the people whose work I respect and admire the most. And so they're so sort of meaningful to me that if a client comes to me and said, we're going to talk to, you know, you and then someone who does like McMansions, you know, where they just have a plan factory. I'm thinking like, if they can't tell the difference, they're not really seeing anything in our work then why would they, you know, and also one of those other firms will be a lot less expensive because they just kind of yeah. Yeah. crank out things and so forth. And so I think that um, that's something that we, being eclectic is something that by nature I like, I like the variety. It makes my life more interesting, but more importantly, I think that it is a response to, again, the site, you know, to nature, or even if it's an urban site, there's still the site conditions, of course. And so we look at it, we bring something to it. We have our personal taste, our preconceptions, our sensibilities. You know, we love certain things that are, even if they look different, we natural light, uh, moving through a space, the choreography of moving through it. Like one of my biggest influences is Stanley Kubrick, you know, the film yes. director. Yes. And yeah. his movies are pretty eclectic as well. He does period pieces like, you know, 1700s. He did, of course, The Shining. Like, you know, you know, the big wheel moving through the shining in the hallway. Yes. If you remember the, you yes. know, that, that's like architects, like moving through spaces. Um, then he did uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You know, so it, as you say, it's, it's like it's, very eclectic. It, it's, it's not. Yeah. But, but, but moving through spaces is something that we have as a consistent theme. Like, I always think of it as like you're making this visual movie. You know, what do you see when you enter? You know, mm -hmm. a lot of our projects have nice views and so it, it matters. But even if you're in a house, you know, what is it that you see? Is it axial? Is there a piece of art on a wall? Is there a window? You know, what do you see like in the long distance in the view? You know, those things are all important. And so that to me is independent of the style. Um, you can do that with any kind of number of, of, of it, as you say, independent from style, it, um, it, it's part of a story that you set up. So that the home right. set up a, a story and 
things evolve and you go on a journey. It's not all just there to see when you, when you arrive. It right. Right. And there's a point sense of point. Yeah. yeah. A uh, sense of discovery too, I think is, is a, yeah. a very interesting mystery mystery. So you, as, as you go through the house, it, it delivers a different emotion and it shifts the emotion from, you know, I, I say to people often, there's a workspace, there's workspaces in a house and then there's intimate spaces and there's, you know, very much calm spaces that my example would always be, you know, the laundry and your bedroom probably require a different feel. They require yeah, some yeah. different emotional drivers. Um, and depending on the age of a family that's in it, you know, like what, what happens with something like the kitchen in the morning, it could just be getting kids out to school and everybody to work. And it's, it could be crazy town. Um, but then in the evenings, it might be a place where everybody gathers before they eat, you know, and everybody's in there and it's all, it's the other end of the day. It's, it's the, the pressure's off and it's more joyful and, um, and right, right. balance both of those and, and have that mood that can, um, shift, whether that be in the way it's, uh, laid out and how people work or whether it be in the, um, the visual effect. You know, as the night comes, the sun goes down, the, the view closes in on us and all those things that make um, the journey of a, of a home. Something I love um, in experiencing the houses that you do is every one of them's a journey because I don't know what I'm going to get once I go through the front door. I don't know, um, if, especially if it's a renovation, um, it's not going to be, oh, this is, this was Hugh and his team. This is, you'll, you'll know that, but you won't know that before you actually um, start to take that journey. It's, it's not a signature. It's not, um, yeah. Yeah. It's not, there's, 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 you know, architects that I just absolutely love their work. And I go, oh, look at that. Look at the house they've done now before I even know it's their house. And if it isn't, it's somebody who imitates them. Yeah, yeah, and usually yeah. not as well. Yeah, and so with yours, it's like um, there's always something that inspires me to, um, uh, for me personally, that I get inspired to look that bit further because I know that there's a, a hidden trick, there's a hidden gem, there's a hidden something that's going to come into my vision and it will be on this journey of thinking because like you said, you might take something from this genre to put in this genre and then blend those pieces across. Um, or contrast, blender, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what we, um, I use the word collage a lot, and I think of different, you know, Austin and New Orleans and different places, and I could kind of go on, but I think that <laughs> on one hand, there's a beauty and a purity, like I said, like, you know, Mies van der Rohe, the Barcelona Pavilion, some of my favorite buildings, the Lincoln Memorial in DC, some of my, the oh, Pantheon, yeah. some of my yeah. favorite buildings are like very pure, very striking, and, but that's not what, we really do. I like spaces that are more collages. And you think of like, um, say, you know, gumbo is a Louisiana food, and you mix every culture right has them where they mix stuff together. But, but having that contrast, yeah, you know, makes it all more jazz music. You know, yeah. it's a combination of like, you know, African American, and then mm -hmm. it's also different um, cultures all came together. And so having that kind of mix of really unexpected result, I think is much more interesting than purity. And so within any given house, you can have a lot of texture and then maybe 
contrast with something very sleek. Yeah. Or you know, even styles, you know, it's easier to do if you have an old house and you're adding on to it, then you can already play off of the old and the new. But we've done a number of new houses. We've done that sometimes purposefully where it's all a new house, but some of it feels older, some of it feels very sleek. And each of those elements feel like say, if you were to think of an old house feels very cozy and rich. Modern feels exhilarating and bright and clean. And when you put the two of those together, each of those portions of the home, I think, feel inherently uh, a greater degree of what they what their intrinsic qualities are. You know, just by the contrast, the sleeker seems more sleek when it's next to an old stone wall, or the old stone wall seems more rich and warm and substantial and and permanent. Yeah. You know, next to something that seems more temporal. I, and so we really we like having that, and we don't feel that even if it's a new house, it's okay. You're kind of writing the story, and the story I said years ago, it doesn't have to be fact. Yeah, there's no, when people talk about, oh, this is a structural honesty, or this is a, it's like, you know, you can kind of create an experience. And and I think of, again, food or music, oh. you know, where you have, uh, like, you know, it's been around for a while, but hip hop used to start, I thought it started getting real interesting, hip hop music, you know, when you'd have like, you know, rap, but then they'd sample, and some people like, why are they sampling like, you know, the police, you know, that every breath you take, you know, like, yeah. like that's so, so lazy. It's like, no, that's really creative. They're taking something that we already have a memory. Every one of us remember like from the mid eighties, you know, every breath, you know, and Absolutely. now it's being put into, you know, this hip hop song about, you know, Biggie Smalls, the rapper was shot, you know, so it's like this tribute, a morning kind of song, you know, and in a whole new context, it played off of like, at least for like, you know, a certain demographic, who listen to the police, which might not have been the same people who were like Biggie Small fans, you know, because they weren't. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. but but it but it really uh, it was a really smart thing to appropriate. You don't have to change it. I'm a big believer. Like it's not like you have to write and invent. Like here's a style. Here's a certain arch that was in a Roman building. It, you know, you can take that and put it into your overall design, or just like in music. And so again, that collage of different things. You know, Beck is another musician that does a really great job, or different people where they, yeah. uh, Moby was this guy that, you know, he yeah. took old, old recordings, yeah. you know, from the South, his old gospel song, and he put it with techno. Like, what's the most difference you can get? This, like, a recording from 1927 of this person singing spirituals, and then you put it with this, you know, kind of synthesizer. And they, again, that combination and contrast, I think, like, this is like nothing I've heard, but is is really good, you know? And so, for me, I look at it as, again, being influenced by all these different art forms, and but really liking the ones where they, they take kind of something that has a memory, a cultural memory, whether yeah. it's a song or whether it's food. And, and but again, you know, you, we try not to force it because that's a formula that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but, but having that kind of balance. I think you, know, you between, see, I think you see uh, a lot of that, um, eclectic kind of part of architecture and where as you say it like it, it, it um it's got all the contrast when you go to places like france and italy and um places where you've got sort of historic pieces of buildings and and buildings have got a core that over the years gets added on to and so it, it creates this different texture and fabric as it goes rather than just trying to create what it is otherwise it, it would never become a modern structure again it would never 
right, meet its right. time. So you don't want to completely renovate it so it was unrecognizable from what it was. You want to take the journey with it so that it becomes something and it, 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 it tells its story of, of, you know, hundreds of years of history as it goes. I think there's mm -hmm. something amazing about that. Um, and it's certainly something that I really um, respect when I see and get inspired by when I see people that do that, when they, they, they hold on to this part and then they can transition you to a new part and journey you along and then give you surprises along the way. It, it makes for a, um, a, a constantly moving landscape. And to live in a home, I always think, you know, like a, a person starts out at one age and um, they're in it through a period of time, whether that's a long time or a short time, they're in it for a period of time. And a, an example of this would be that, you know, like with the White House, how every, every new president has a shot at putting, or, the, or their wife does, has a shot at putting yeah. a signature of something into that building. Begins as to the story, yeah. <laughs> exactly, whether it's good or bad, it adds to the story and then somebody else gets to play with that next story. But um, there's parts of it that, you know, are right back at the very beginning and there's parts of it that are, you know, like the latest thing. So I find that really fascinating, the whole Yeah, and seeing there's different, different places. I actually saw there's a house in Australia called, I think it's Australia, but uh, they call it the Captain's House and uh, John Waddell. I don't know if oh, you're familiar with his work. Up. They do, they're mostly large firm, but, um, but again, it's, it's that classic example of like an old, you know, small house and then they add to it and, you know, it's hard to kind of know what was new and old and how it's all very blended. Yeah. Uh, there's other ones where it's very clear, like uh, in London, there's a number of products I see pictures of like, you know, the brown brick, you know, townhouse and they add the glass box in the back for their kitchen yeah. and their breakfast room. And yes, yeah, yeah. so it's very clear. I think it's interesting where there's a little bit of a blur in between, you know, the old can change and the new, the new doesn't have to look, you know, exactly current, you know, but no, we don't try to force it. We try to really let the circumstance of the particular project and the client and the functional, you remember we'll talk about functional. For me, the functional is a given. Every house has to be sustainable. Every house has to be, you know, we haven't really done yet anything which is totally carbon neutral, but we've done a number that are, you know, 80% solar powered and rainwater collection. So those things are all, you know, at a baseline, right? But then I, I use that phrase, well, now what? You, know, you solved it, you've, did, you've figured out the family functional problems, and then, you know, how do you add that extra, more intangible, you know, uh, the soul of the house? And every process though, it's funny, like when you're meeting and talking with a the client, they'll say something that'll trigger something else. And, you know, there's sort of a lot of energy, you know, synergy going on. And, and, you know, there's usually something in the process that will, and usually it's a challenge, like you can't make this work. And then you realize, well, here's an opportunity to make like this quirky thing as a positive, you know, and there's no. a subtle line between when does it feel like it's just a mistake? You know, <laughs> there, there's bad design where it's not quirky, it's just a mistake. So call it what it is, you know. But I, we really do like having those things that we open our eyes to. We don't try to force any of these eclectic collage things. Yeah as a trademark, you know, but 
when the opportunity arises where, hey, this is a point in the house where it it works to kind of not be so smooth or be to so- take an opportunity. Opportunities, take keep your eyes open, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. That's a, it's really fascinating when you're talking about that. I, I, I relate to it so much. I've got another question here um, because you actually really answered question two with number one as well. You, you okay. blended it beautifully, which I love. I love that. Um, and it's so just what we talked about is your ability to do that, to journey the journey. Um, what about this one? A key point that you would, any student or you know, starting out architect, um, what would be something that you would say is a key point to making this journey go on? And that could be from the point of, how do you set up it as a business? Or it could be the point of um, being deliberate about something, or it could be about you know, where to get more knowledge or? The last few years, there's been people who have reached out to me who I don't really know, and they know a reputation, and they, you know, will buy you a beer or take you to lunch, and if I can just kind of pick your brain, get advice. Uh, I've yeah. just left a firm, I'm starting my own, or um, just yesterday, I got a call from an electrician who worked on my renovations, like, why is he calling us, you know? And then it turned out that he knew someone through his church that was interested in becoming an architect. And is it okay to pass my name? And he goes, yeah, you're, you're an architect, right? You know? And yeah. So, um, I'll, so I really always feel kind of flattered, honestly, you know, to be able to think that people, that I can give advice, you know, to, yeah. and one of the things I tell them is the fact that you are reaching out to ask for advice goes a long way because you, we just used the word opportunity a moment ago. And I think for me, it's when there are people who, you know, I feel all these little things like if I get a letter, a resume, like, dear sir, madam, no, there's no enthusiasm, there's no energy. And I think, well, you know, I don't look down on them so much, but I feel a little sad. Yeah. Like no one's taught them just how to make an introduction. So I think in a very, very basic level, if you're reaching out to somebody for a job, then know who the firm is. Oh, and yeah. it can go a little bit too much, but when someone says, oh, you have beautiful work, that's so creative. Like they probably say that to everybody, but when they say, I really like the one project, how it did, whatever. And it's not, it's, you can tell that they're really thinking of it and it's not BS, you know, and sure they want to look good. They want to work for you, but it is telling them something about what they see in what you do and also their mindset as an architecture student or recent grad. But more importantly, it shows that they are taking the time and that they care and that yeah. they are, not just sending out, you know, to a hundred different people, yeah. you know, where it's like, you know what, you need to kind of know why you want to be here. You know, what is it that you see? You know, what is it that you want to learn? It's and so beyond course, looking I think for a job. It's beyond looking yeah. for a job. It's actually looking for a job that is going to feed um, a part of them and then feeding right. a part of them is going to feed a part of you. And they're going to add to a dynamic um, and that they can yeah, add to it for sure. And I think that, um, but really the fact that they reach out, if it's someone who just wants to get advice, you know, like I'm thinking you're in architecture school or, yeah. you know, I'm starting my own firm and it's not so much that they want to work for me is that uh, the fact that they reach out to begin with means that they're motivated and they're you know, typically enthused 
And I think that if you have um, a real passion, like we were talking about this road trip that I just took and I visited with a cousin of mine who I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And when I moved to Washington, they used to live in Northern Virginia, make a short story. But then I, uh, before I found a place to live in Washington, D.C., which is where I started practicing after college, my internship was in, in D.C. And so I stayed with my cousin for about five weeks. And she was probably like in eighth, eighth or ninth grade, maybe, right? And I hadn't really seen her maybe once or twice in the last, you know, 30 years. But I saw her recently. And she says, wow, it's so great. You know, I looked at your website yesterday. And, you know, I remember when you're staying at my house and I was like, you know, 13 years old. You're so excited because you're getting your first job out of college and you're saying like, you know, like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I want to be an architect, you know, Jimmy Stewart, you know, talking and stuff. And uh, But you're so excited about being able to start out and so enthusiastic. And now you're doing it, you know, and, and but she remembered that, you know, that I was so kind of motivated. And when I see people who like, oh, I don't know, should I be an architect? Should I not? I don't know it's like maybe not you know because i think yeah. that it's a profession where for me it's a calling it doesn't have to be for everybody by any means there's some wonderful architects who had other careers and other people um there's a lot of people one of my employees uh, started out he got a degree in business and then he realized after two years he didn't want to stay in in that world so he went back to archer school in his in his late 20s out in california and then he moved to texas and so he kind of knew you know and he actually wanted to be an architect but his parents, you hear those a lot, those, you make more money going into business. And it depends, you know, it all depends on if you have your own, there's, there's a wide range of like what architects make or not. You don't yeah. make a lot right out of college in this. If you get an MBA or if you're an engineer and you know, you can, you can start out really well, but then I think in architecture, it's a different thing, but he didn't, I guess the point being, he didn't go into architecture because he was sort of talked out of it, but then he kept getting pulled back into it. And he had a passion for it, right? And so I think that following, go out and meet a lot of people, yeah. travel, um, but be open, keep your eyes open to opportunity out there. You know, really follow, like I love following, we don't do high rises, we don't do hotels, but yeah. there's so much being built in Austin that I read different blogs, like all these new projects. Here's this developer doing this high rise kind of mixed use project. Not because I want to like get into that world and get, considered for it but i just you know like this kind of geek about it like oh this is exciting urban planning big park projects and stuff yeah. it's like a hobby and so you know not everyone it's good to have a another life beyond architecture some people get so cloistered in a bubble of all they do is architecture but i do think that having that passion and just keep your eyes open to what other people are doing uh, you don't have to follow the trends but um for me, it all comes down to, though, just always keep your eyes open to opportunity, reach out to as many people as you can, and keep learning, keep learning all the time, keep learning about different things. And it uh, doesn't have to be just architecture, but just um, if you ever feel, and if someone were to come to me where they're kind of wishy-washy about it, and I just don't see that the spark is there, I would, I've never talked to anyone out of being an architect, because I didn't think, you know, because you know, in a 20 minute meeting or something with some yeah. 17 year old, I can't really know. They might be nervous or might be whatever, but, but I do, when I see someone who has that kind of enthusiasm and um, excitement about it, you know, that goes a long way. I, I, 
I think that it's a, a it's such good advice, you know, to to reach out to people, to um, I, I to to surround yourself by it, and then also to look at like, I mean, what we've talked about. You've talked about jazz. You've talked about food. You've talked about different architecture from classical to whatever. Mm -hmm. it, it's um, I always think of of it as like you could be narrow and just go down a certain road. But if you've got this broadness, you actually get a couple of other things. One is, is you get to relate to people on so many different levels and find right. more about them. And then when you find that about them, because you're designing their home, then you get to infuse that with them. And so to be just um, blinkered, and I, I certainly know well, all sorts of different people in business that are very blinkered, you know, they, they're very blinkered yeah. what the greater world offers. And I think that that's a, a really interesting point with what you said, like, is get the width, get, reach out to people. But also um, the other thing that's, that's a fascinating point with it is that there's a, a business of architecture. Right, and, right. And then there's a, being a creative in architecture or being a technician in architecture, there's, a, there's layers to this. And being in business means that you actually get to play the other layers. Um, you, you, unless, you know, unless you actually work out or taught or trained how to create the business of architecture, then you'll never get to play and all the other places. Right. You need, yeah, you need to manage a business. Otherwise you don't have the opportunity to kind of do all the creative things we've been talking about. And, and I think one of those years ago, I hired someone who during the first meeting, like we were talking and hit it off about all this design stuff and all these like, you know, you know, whatever topic of design it was, you know, different architects, maybe someone in Europe and how we led their work and led to one thing and the other and the other very much on the same wavelength. And this is years ago. And then I realized, you know, it's actually better to get people who aren't just like you. <laughs> you know, get someone who is maybe like a little more buttoned down or maybe a little more this or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and finding the, it's a team, you know, getting a combination of all the skill sets is very important. Um, oh, and then when it comes to also getting established, you have a lot of our first projects respect projects which when you're designing a spec project, the fee is smaller because it's a, it's an investment. It's not yeah. a family, but yeah. we went the extra mile and put a lot of effort into it. In fact, I can, we've had, this will be our 10th house on the home store this fall. Oh, wow. And yeah. And you know, I can think of one, two, maybe three of them were spec houses that were sold during the construction. Yeah. Okay. So they were already, but so a person, but they weren't designed you know, for that people walk through and sometimes they did the upgrades. They put like real nice, you know, fixtures and cabinetry in one case. So they did a really nice job and they were even, they were already going to be nice spec houses because we weren't going to do something which is just cookie cutter because there'd be no reason. But we took these like, you know, we're not yet established and we can do it for a little less. That's okay. Just starting out as a business. But again, it's an opportunity for us to kind of, if we go the extra mile and spend more time than the developer is, expecting they're not paying us for it yeah really but yeah. as long as they're going to build it if they're going to build it like we're designing it you know we're still making some money 
but is a long-term thing because then we get these houses that are done, they're on a tour. This is a spec house. I thought all spec houses looked like, you know, Mc, Tuscan McMansions or whatever yeah, the yeah. flavor of the month yeah. was, you know? Yeah. And, and so they became houses that were on a tour. A few of them were magazines. You know, we still have a few of them on our website, in fact. And um, so again, it's an opportunity as a, in the business end of it, is sometimes you know when someone's out of school or they're they're really design focused architect and they're like we we want to do this is changing a little bit but I think more millennials are open to doing things that are like spec work and you know uh, it's okay to be commercial not commercial in terms of like a, a public commercial building but same thing in music people used to never want to like sell the rights to their songs and yeah. then a younger generation said you know what hey it's fine. Like what's, what's so sacred about like, is it really that important that my song can't be in a commercial or make money and, and whatnot. And so, so long as the song isn't any different, there's still, it's still the pure artistry. That's it. And whether you yeah. agree with that or not, whether you think it's a sellout, if you get to still create something that you're proud of, doesn't matter whether it's for a developer or whether it's for a family. And we looked at it, this is an exploration for us you know, we need to work within the confines of, okay, it, it's not going to be a really weird out there thing. But some of these spec houses were for their time. You wouldn't have expected that a developer would be so open. Um, wow. Matt Reisinger was a client. Matt Reisinger was yeah, a wow. contractor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was, I did a spec house for him. Yeah. And he was, at first he wanted a more, he moved here from Portland, Oregon. He wanted to be kind of craftsman style. And it's like, what about this? And so he was he was young and eager and it's like, hey, okay. He he had a little bit of pushback about like getting a little hesitant, like is it gonna be too modern and whatnot? But um we explained why we thought it was the best for this particular location and you know, we kind of conjured up when we do a spec house, we'll conjure it up like, okay, who's gonna live here? Maybe it's an empty yeah. nester couple, like maybe they're from California. Sure enough. Empty nester couple came to work for the law school, moved from San Diego. They like more modern stuff. They didn't need a lot of bedrooms. In fact, they took upstairs, they bought it like when it was 80% of the way through construction. They took what was going to be uh, two bedrooms upstairs and made it into one big room because they didn't need to have a four bedroom house. Wow. Okay. You know? yeah. but, but the real estate market has a formula like everyone's going to want, you know. Yeah. But um, luckily in Austin, there is such an eclectic range of what people, it's a little less conformist. Yeah, and so, it, so we, we've had the ability to do that. In fact, we still do some spec work. So, as far as the business end and advice, I think there's someone starting out. It's okay to do the spec work, but treat it as if it were for a family. You know, put all the care and the touches into it. And you, you know, what works for us is that we actually start to envision like, here are these people. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, you make a you yeah. make a character in your mind about who they are, and, and mm -hmm. if they like this and this, then they're gonna also like this. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're almost having this sort of internal algorithm about, you know, their preferences when they don't even exist. But you know enough people over the years, you meet clients, and you know people, <laughs> and you kind of think, okay, you create an avatar. Yeah, but an uh, avatar. Eight years of um, the clothing industry for me, I would. I mean, you don't know who's going to wear your product, and yeah, well, you point. you create an avatar of. Um, you know, like I did women's high fashion swimwear for, for a long time and then surfwear and uh, then on-field sportswear and work with people like Sir Edmund Hillary and people like that. And with it, 
when you're doing it, you 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 look for you create this this um this this person or this group of people, and then you go, what's the the difference in the fabric of these people? What are they like? You you, you right. said more about um about you know whether hiring somebody in your firm, and um you don't necessarily want somebody the same as yourself. I always think of a cast in a movie. You know, you've got to have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, these girls, right. like, because each one of them brings a dimension to the story. And mm -hmm. with, when you can get a dimension to the story, it actually builds human connection with it. And so when you're looking for, for, for a team or to hire somebody, they have to fit a kind of a place, you know, like in a reality yeah. TV show, they go. I was thinking a reality show, stuff. exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say, you know. <laughs> Oh, the cast, and they, they have like the, the funny one, or, or like a rock band or something, you know, yeah. the quiet one, the funny one, the yeah. creative, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think that it, um, it happens organically, of course. But it um, does. One of my employees, in fact, I can think of a few. One um, was moving here from Chicago, and actually, I hired her over the phone just because there was no reason. Not to. You know, I, I, I had a phone interview, and then it, we followed up a couple of back and forth emails and things. Yeah. But, I never met her in person until she came to work, you know, but she had gone, she has a undergraduate and a master's in architecture, but she also went through the second city comedy troupe uh, school in Chicago, which is where a lot of like Bill Murray and different people had yeah. kind of gone through over the years. And so it's like, wow, that's kind of cool. That's you know, and she still cool. does, she, she and her husband who also went through it, they still do improv. They have improv shows here in Austin. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, and then there's another person who um, she sent her resume and, you know, good school. They're both good backgrounds and all that. So that was, but again, the above and beyond that, you know, during the downturn in 2009, she had worked for a couple of years as a hostage at Uchi. And Uchi is a restaurant here in town, which was like the first really, you know, nationally known food place and very crowded and it's a hip place to be. And yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people like who would come in during all the big events in Austin who are pretty wealthy and pretty important people, at least in their own mind, they are right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I like a table for four. It's like, that'll be an hour and a half wait. And sometimes those kind of people might like, well, no, you know, you know, try to push away. And so I thought, you know, if you're a hostess, you're, you're having to smile, be nice, but also be firm. And so I thought she's going to have good people skills. You know, to be a hostess at a restaurant or a waitress even, but a hostess, especially, you're the, you're the face when they walk in, you know, it, it, it. and sometimes it's crowded and people are trying to kind of, you know, get away with something like, you know, be entitled. And yeah. then I read her resume a little further down and she was a triathlete. Oh, wow. Okay. And I thought, wow. He's and motivated so, yeah, and dedicated. Yeah. So finding these combination of people and what their backgrounds are and, you know, again, you don't always have that kind of luxury of like, you're not a casting agent where you kind of pick anyone you want. You know, and everyone's more complex than just being the stereotype of the serious one, the yeah. meticulous. You know, everyone is not just one thing, like, you know. But um, but certainly having that team like you're casting is real important. And so if someone were to be starting out as a, the business end of architecture, and as they begin to, you know, hire and look at that, is really knowing, you have to know who you are in order uh, to get the team to, because some people like to think, oh, I'm really great at this. and you know, they, ha they have to be honest, you know, like I don't do CAD work and I, I used to years ago, but I haven't done 
at CAD software in a long time. And I, for a while, I thought, I need to learn this because it still felt so cumbersome. And I, I felt I wasn't designing nearly as well. And I just didn't enjoy it. And I still feel, even telling this, I'm a little bit guilty, like, come on, it's 2020. <laughs> But you know, I mean, I'm in a in a team where it works. I do what I do. They do what they do. So it, it works. But yeah. I still do feel like I ought to be that person. And I yeah. think you know, I've got these other things that I enjoy that I think that I'm pretty strong at. So that's okay. So yeah. being honest, like I'm not a technical guy. I'm not the structural guy. Yeah. But I know they're I know they're important. And so someone has to kind of know who they are, self-assessment, you know, their skills and their, what do they really want to spend time doing? Yeah. And what do they bring? Because yeah, exactly. And, and young people don't necessarily know what that is yet. No, then no. They've got to rely on their personality and their, their, you know, like you were saying about that resume, you're looking for clues in the resume as to, you know, this person's done this, 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 or this is their hobbies, or this is what they are always um look at education and go did they stick it out yeah are they a yeah. finisher you know did they finish it not just did they um want to do it but did they finish it and if they've yeah. got something I, I i had a girl that worked for me for quite a while fabulous like great friend now um and she had reinvented herself three times and she was 30 and she'd invented, reinvented herself three times in her life from being, um, you know, an international performer to um, um, somebody that finally was working with me doing marketing stuff. And I, I go, when we were interviewing, we'd already got a narrowed little list and stuff. And, and I, I met her with, with, in a group interview. And... Um, it was fascinating. I, I, it was all the points that just were clear to me was is that she adapts to her environment at warp speed, mm -hmm. and then she has the ability to learn something new and take that in. But then she had she does it at such a level that she um, reaches a level of expertise in it really really quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah, really good skill. And I go, um, she doesn't work for me anymore. She, but just recently, I've got a little project that I want to do. And I, I reached out to her and said, hey, can you do this project for me? And she's like, sure, I can do that late July. And I said, cool, let's book it in for late July. And I'm going to get you to do this project with me and for me, because um, that's all she does now is freelance. And she's like, yep, love to do it. It'll be fantastic. And, you know, there's this real energy around, around doing that. But I know yeah. that it's going to take her to somewhere where she hasn't been as well, this project. So, mm -hmm. but I know that I can rely on that. And, you know, we, when, when we, I was interviewing for the position that she had in the firm, I had some great applicants, but not with the dynamic um, swing that she could bring that dynamic yeah, valuable and we yeah. started when we were the last two people we've hired we've had you know at least one or two other people from the firm sit in on the interview because i realized they're going to be interacting a lot with yeah, you know sure. with those new hires and i remember one time i could look at the face of one of my employees as this particular candidate was being interviewed and she was my employee was just lighting up and just really feeling it 
And then probably the same day we interviewed someone else who seemed on paper to be like, wow, this is probably the person. And she was much less engaged. And I like, I, you know, I, I asked, I said, what did y'all think of him? You know, I read her face correctly. She, she had a preference. And I remember thinking like, you know what? That for me, I probably would have hired the other person. I can say this because they're both very qualified and I'm glad I made the decision I did, but, but just seeing the chemistry between these different, you know, candidates with my employees was really, you know, so um, revealing, very helpful. And it also helps build a team. And and people yeah. kind of realize when they're being interviewed um, it, and, and they don't get the position, um, it, it's not just necessarily about one thing. A team's yeah. a, balanced, a balanced thing, you know. In a football team, it's a balanced thing. And, you know, in a cycling team, it's a balanced thing. And also there's some things where you can't do the job unless you have a team. And there's other things where you can have individuals that do different parts of the job and they're right, right. part of a they're part of a team but they don't have to interact and um in design you can separate certain elements of it but it's yeah it's not as easy i mean certainly you see you can have technicians that do certain parts of things and they don't actually have to understand necessarily the full creative process that got to that point um uh-huh. and when you get into the creative zone of it you 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 have people who will challenge you um, and then add to what you're thinking. Yeah, I find it fascinating. I find the, the whole thing. And, and, and when people are going out there, don't get disheartened um, if it doesn't work out just in the first you know, five interviews or whatever. Refine, refine and um, find out as much as you can about the, about the environment you're about to, or that you're applying to work in, like you said. The people yeah. who make that difference um, I think that that's a really big nugget of gold to, that you've said is there is, is just to pull that together. I'm going to wrap it up. Absolutely fascinating. Always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I, I always leave with a mindful and I've got a pad full of little notes here saying, hey, this is, and it gets me to think about things that I'm doing as well and differently uh, I love the fabric and the, the, the knowledge and the, the, the vision and the way you approach architecture, but life, it's, it's, it's a piece of your life. And um, fascinating to hear about your road trip as well before that. It was really yeah. great. So thank you. All right, well, really, really adios. appreciate having you on. We'll talk right. soon. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Richard Petrie from the Architect Marketing Institute, and this is Richard's Magic Arrows. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. So you want to work on great projects. The problem is you've got to win those projects, and to win the projects, you've got to sell your services. And for a lot of designers and architects, the word sales or salesperson is something which sends a cold shiver down the back of your neck. It's the last thing you want to be seen as. I was watching an episode of Million Dollar Beach House on Netflix recently, and it was about these real estate agents selling 
30, 40, $50 million homes in the Hamptons just out of New York. And one of the developers who's selling his $30 million home is speaking to Peggy, who's a realtor. And he says to Peggy, I've got every agent on the island wanting to sell my home because there's a big commission on it. Why should I hire you? And Peggy, being a salesperson, immediately launches into a whole rambling of why he should hire her. And she was going to work harder. She had a better network than anyone else. She was going to think outside the box. And you could see the developer unconvinced. He says to Peggy, yeah, I'll think about it and I'll come back to you. Now, how could Peggy have done it or how could a pro do it? And let's forget about re real estate because we're not selling real estate. What we're doing is looking to win great design projects. I'm going to suggest a different way for you. And it's very simple, but it starts by having the right mindset. So I'm going to give you the words, but you've got to ingrain these words into your belief system and into the way you think. It's pretty simple. How I would have responded would have been, listen, in all honesty, I don't know if I'm the right person for you. You need to make sure I'm right for you, and I'd like to find out what you're looking for. And I also need to make sure that you're right for me. So I've got a few questions for you too. Now just think about that. What's just happened in that situation compared to the way a salesperson or a piggy handled it is you've immediately established yourself that you've got standards, that you won't take on just any job or any project that comes along, and that you're not a needy salesperson. Now, this is really attractive. What it also does is flip the power balance a little bit. It makes it a little more even. Instead of the seller having all the power and the, the, the salesperson having no power, by saying we both need to interview each other kind of puts both of you on an even keel because you both need to convince each other that you're right for the job. And if either one of us doesn't think it's right, then we both should move on and find someone who is. So have a think about that. Not only the words, you know, I'm not sure if I am right for you. You need to make sure I'm right for you. So you've probably got some questions for me. But I've also got to make sure you're right for me. So I've got some questions for you. So why don't we ask each other a few questions? Now think about words or a script like that. But also think about the mindset and the mentality behind it. Because I think it takes you away from being a salesperson and into being a professional. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.